Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm going to get straight into it this week and not just because whenever I have a guest with the profile of Danny Davis, who is indeed this week's guest, I get a load of new listeners and there's always a couple who, unacquainted with the show, send me a really annoyed message complaining that my intros are far too long, which obviously makes me laugh. And if you're a regular listener to the show, I'm sure it'll probably make you laugh as well. Anyway, Danny, if you're a snowboarder, and you probably, if you are a snowboarder, you probably really are thinking, I fucking get on with it, mate. We know Danny Davis is. But there's a lot of people that listen to this show who aren't snowboarders and who might not know who Danny Davis is. So I'm going to give you the thumbnail sketch. Let's just put it this way. Danny is one of the true greats. He's widely regarded as one of the greatest competitive, indeed, snowboarders of all time, um, particularly in the half pipe. But more than this, Danny Davis stands for something. In a world of ever-increasing progression for its own sake, Danny stands for the creativity which is supposed to be at the heart of this entire sideways business. In snowboarding, he's pretty much the personification of the idea that progression must be accompanied by style. And as such, he's one of the most beloved and admired riders on the planet. Now, regular listeners were probably going to know my view on booking the big names for this show. I mean, over the years, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of global icons on the podcast. Sometimes it works out, other times it doesn't. I'm sure there's a couple that spring to mind immediately. And indeed, in 2021, I actually moved away from the big ticket guest list and decided if that is even possible to please myself even more with the guests that are booked. Um, But I had a feeling that in this case, Danny was going to be a legend. And I'm happy to say we can all relax. This one's really good. I mean, the man took two hours out from his honeymoon, for God's sake, to record this episode. If that isn't a measure of the generosity of the man and the kind of clearly incredible relationship he's got with his new wife, Marge, then I don't know what is. So what follows is, I humbly contend, as revealing an interview with Danny, as you're likely to hear, during which he opens up about his thoughts on snowboarding progression, creativity, his plans for the future, and gives us a peerless insight into the mindset you need if you're going to stay at the top of his particular game for 20 plus years, as he has. He's also got the best, most thoughtful definition of what the actual job of professional snowboarding entails that I've personally ever heard. And I've been interviewing professional snowboarders for nearly 30 years now. So um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's great. I'll be back at the end with Housekeeping Corner. But in the meantime, here's me and Danny Davis. Enjoy. All right. Nice. There we go. So you're in, you've been riding? You've been riding, man. It's, it's, it's icy out here. Yeah, I but, hear that. Uh, yeah, we were we got a great storm at home um, in Tahoe. Like, really good December. I wasn't there for much of it. Um, I was in Colorado. I was in British Columbia for early December, and then um, I was in Colorado for Dew Tour, and then uh, 
went out east, went to Michigan to do an event that I do in Michigan and then went out east to see my my wife's family for Christmas and kind of got got stuck there due to COVID. And um, yeah, so I kind of missed the Tahoe boom that everybody yeah. else who was at home enjoyed. The start, like the epic starts the season, wasn't it? Like um, it was sick. I mean, two hundred inches, yeah. Um, in in the month of of December is pretty phenomenal for Tahoe. So yeah, yeah. So we we got it to miss that because <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm a sacrificial lamb sometimes, and that's fine. Yeah. Well, you you know, sounds like good times recently. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's nice and set up now. It's like good to go. We're ready to film now. Things are filled in. So anything that happens after this, it'll be nice and, and ready to go. Um, I actually just got a cabin um, in Tahoe uh, recently and got to go there for a couple days, which was really nice. And the, the touring right from the house is really good. There's no snowmobiling allowed, um, yeah. but the touring is, is, was phenomenal. So that was awesome. I got like two days at, at the cabin, which was sweet. Ah, so where's that in Tahoe then? So it's um it's kind of in a classic zone. Um, it's in a zone called ASI, uh, or that people call ASI, but it's uh like Donner Pass area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, and um, we got lots of good like I eighty cliff, like a ton of old like Noah Selaznick and Damian yeah. Sanders, and like uh, Tom Burt. The Tom Burt spines that are in Donner are not that far from us. Um, yeah, we're we're walking distance to a ton of classic old like standard films terrain. Um, mostly because the roads there and it's easy to walk in, and snowmobiles didn't used to be that good. So um, those guys used to be on foot a lot more than they, yeah. than, they than we are now. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome, man. It's like the only house on um, Donner Pass. Really, it's it's pretty sweet. Wow, sounds yeah. sounds pretty dreamy. Cause, um... it's dreamy. I went sure. up to Mikey Basich's place, which is kind yeah, of, around, so, it's kind of, it's kind of around that area, right? Yeah. Um, he's on the other side of I-80, so he'd be north of I-80. Yeah. Um, and I'm south of it. Um, I'm a little closer to town. His is like, you kind of got a snowmobile into his place. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I remember, it's yeah. Like 20, 20 minutes on the sled maybe to go. Yeah. There. A little, it's not crazy far. It's a couple miles in yeah. on a snowmobile and uh, my place is right off the road even though it's like in this stretch of land that is more or less no homes. Um, and it is off the grid. The, the cabin is off the grid. And, um, but his is a much more uh, involved entry. And, um, and he's, you know, as you know, you've been there. Um, he's kind of like one of my idols when it comes to owning land and, and what you can do with it. I mean, the guy has his yeah. chairlift on his property. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's wild. I could, I couldn't believe it when he showed me that. I mean, obviously I've seen sort of pictures of it and that, but I was a bit like fucking hell. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're not, you don't want to sit around kind. there, are you? And he, yeah. he can build, you know, he's just such a, a different human than, than a lot of us. Um, he's just got the talents of, and the, the creative, um, mindset of, of what he can do with those skills of like building and welding. And I mean, the guy lost two homes in the last couple of years and yeah, pretty much rebuilt harsh, them. Man. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he's a force, man. He's awesome. Love so Mike. is it, 
obviously it's like a you know like we all are snowboard geek have you got have you got a tick list of of the classics then a tick list yeah you know right near the new place you mentioned like you know the oh definitely line. yeah there's yeah. there's um so we just got it this summer so i haven't really i've i've ridden around there a bunch and ridden a bunch of the stuff um but i'm really just uh getting used to being able to like park there because usually you got to go park up at the top of the pass and um so it's yeah just finding our routes and stuff it's cool but yeah there's tons to ride and i haven't really like I said, I was gone for all of December and we didn't have really, really any snow till the beginning of December. Um, it was, yeah. we had one storm in October, like kind of this freak storm that was pretty crazy. Um, and, uh, I was home for that, but, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's on now and, uh, yeah, we got to start, start, yeah. Checking the boxes of runs and, and just finding, um, new stuff too. I mean, there's so many little, nuggets in there it's really benchy you know like a couple yeah. hundred feet to like a flat and then a couple hundred feet so like um there's lots of stuff to find in there and and we spend a lot of time in there it's usually our go-to zone if it's like maybe it snowed a lot and we shouldn't really be out in the backcountry flirting with big faces it's kind of a good place to go the day after a storm let the snow settle a little bit and go see what's going on up in up in donner and and kind of ride some smaller faces and stuff like that. Um, pretty fun. So you're, so you're on your honeymoon now. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Man. Well, yeah. firstly, thank, thanks for, you know, eating into some honeymoon time. No, to that's do all this. good. My lady's getting a massage. We shredded all day. We're, we're happy, man. It's been, it's been super fun. We never get time just by ourselves. We're, we seem to always be with, with, um, our friends and stuff, which is great. You know, having friends is, is the biggest blessing in my life, but, um, it's nice to just have some time to us and, and to go snowboarding, just us. Like we never get snowboarding, uh, to ourselves. So, um, it's nice to just go out on the mountain and go to a mountain that I've never been to. I've never been to St. Moritz. So, um, how is it? It's great. It's, it's icy. You know, I think it rained here. Uh, not that long ago. It's been, sounds we've like not, it's been pretty, pretty warm. We've not, had a gr- we've not had a great start in Europe. Yeah. It's, it's a little rough, but we've, we got like uh, half a foot yesterday. So with a lot of wind, um, so it, it deposited it in some of the valleys and little nooks and crannies out here. So it's actually been, been really fun. Um, we've been, been enjoying ourselves yeah. despite the icy conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And how long are you in Europe for? You know, that's to be determined. I'm, um, I'm here until at least until the, till the 13th. Um, we're going to do this. We're going to go to Zermatt tomorrow. We're taking the Glacier Express over to Zermatt. Yeah. Uh, we're stoked for that. And, and I've spent quite a bit of time on the trains here, um, getting around Europe, but my lady has never really done that. Um, so oh, man, it's so fun. Switzerland. It's so set up, isn't it? I love, I, I really love that trip, a trip that we do quite frequently from the uk is like flight to geneva get the train around the lake you know get oh, yeah. to get around to verbier and then sort of start from there you know it's, it's so fun isn't it it's such a great way to sort of see the yeah. mountains you you guys are so used to it too and for us on the east coast we have uh some train travel that's pretty good um amtrak it's slow but it's beautiful you got internet on the train you can kind of if you're someone who's in vermont you can kind of get some work done on the train going to New York or vice versa. So, but that's yeah. really it. We don't really have 
you know, if you take Amtrak across the country, it'll take you days, you know, yeah. maybe a week to get across the country. Um, you know, if you take uh, from Truckee, you can take the train to Salt Lake City or even to Colorado. Right. But it's an eight, eight hour drive from Truckee to Salt Lake City. But on the train, it takes like 16 or 17 hours. Ah, right. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's just not efficient. And so to come to Europe and enjoy the train life where you can – you know, be on the train for three to four hours and it, it, a drive here for three or four hours, it'll take it out of you. But getting on the train, you know, you get a six pack of beer or whatever and just kick it and enjoy the train travel. Um, it's cool for us, man. Yeah, we don't, I, I, we don't I like get it. that. It's yeah. beautiful. And, and, um, so yeah, we'll go to Zermatt after this and then I'm going to Zurich for, uh, the Deer Rider premiere, uh, the Jake yeah, yeah. Uh, documentary. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go meet up with some of the Europe Burton family, go see Hazy, and yeah, um, sick. And then I'm gonna try to link up with Giggy and do some filming for a couple weeks with Giggy. We're gonna do a little road trip, and it's been a really long time since I've gotten to spend time with Giggy and and film and enjoy uh, his atmosphere. I grew up just loving everything about that dude, and he was such he is an inspiration to me. And when I was younger, he was such a rad human to me all the young ink guys were so awesome to me growing up um that you know it's it, i'm really really fortunate to have spent time with those guys but it's been forever so i'm really excited to link up with giggy and 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 get some filming in and are you gonna head to his his zone like kind of you know his backyard because obviously he's got the he's got it on no lock, probably he? not just because it's so low and the snow has been so poor um, so we're hoping things kind of turn around here, but, and if it doesn't, maybe it's smarter for me to just go home and, and start filming there or at least yeah. get riding in. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be leaving here by like January 20th or so, uh, because, um, I'm going to go do natural selection in, uh, in Jackson hole. I've been competing my whole life and that thing, um, you know, Trav's really created something um that we just you know the free ride world tour has existed for quite some time now but uh Tra trav's contest is just on a whole nother level um of free ride world tour you know it's i'd say alaska is maybe the most like a free ride world tour stop where you're showing up to a face and riding an actual face but pre-building kickers out of like wood and trees and and all that stuff i mean that's just that's really unique to what he's created in snowboarding. And, um, I'm really excited to get into that kind of contest atmosphere. I mean, half pipe and, and slope style courses are what I've done for the last 18 years, 20 years of my life. Um, and free riding contest is something that's completely new to me. Free riding is somewhat new to me. You know, I'm still really learning and becoming, um, a professional in that, in that world. I wouldn't even say, um, you know, that I'm at the level that some of these guys are, uh, but I'm excited to have a, have a crack at it. Yeah. It looks like from the outside that you've been starting the transition maybe, you know, in the last yeah, couple I mean, of years. Since I was 18, you know, I went to like Alaska with, with the Unink guys and filmed for Absinthe when I was like 18 and I'm 33 now. Um, so I, I've always been able to dabble in it. Burton always, um, you know, gave us the opportunity. It was, you know, so many people are like, Oh, I'm sure Burton like 
keeps you in the contest scene. They really force you to do contests. It's like, not at all. I mean, that's always been solely up to me. And if, if anything, Burton's given me the opportunity to go do that stuff throughout my career, sent me on trips to Alaska and get me heli in in New Zealand. And, you know, Jake, even after the Olympic stuff, he would take us on a heli trip uh, to just go ride big, long heli runs with him and Donna. And, you know, right. um, I've, <laughs> I've really, so fun. Oh, he's, he's the man dude. He, like that was, you know, and then, and Nick Russell being my roommate for the last like six years of my life has really gotten me into just how to free ride and moving safely through the mountains. Um, and, and really just like really learning about how to make a good turn. You know, I remember one time I went riding with Blotto and Nick and, uh, and Blotto was just like, man, I got so many photos of Nick. And I'm like, oh, sick. Did we get some photos? And Blotto's like, no, dude, you need to learn how to like make a nice turn and a photogenic <laughs> turn, you know? Um, and, you know, Nick's been doing it since we graduated high school. He's been free riding for since then. And I've been, you know, in the, in the slope style and half pipe world. And um, so it's, it's, it's been really fun. And Nick's been a big part of pushing me into that kind of snowboarding and, and Terrier and, and, um, you know, a lot of the people that I, I get to spend time with Mickle, you know, is always like he bailed out of the competition world some time ago and, uh, has been a big kind of inspiration for me to get into the backcountry. So it's been a long, um, uh, sort of slow break into it. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just, you know, people, I was just talking to a guy downstairs. He's like, Oh, you're going to the Olympics this year. And I'm like, no. And he's like, what? And, uh, it's just not where my head's at. You know, um, I love half pipe riding. I think I will ride transition and hit jumps, park kickers, like as long as I can, I really enjoy it. I have a lot of fun. makes me feel like I'm like a really good skateboarder or something for a second. But, um, but it's just where my head's at. I just want to spend more time in the mountains, not around people, not on hard pack. I think my body is screaming for it a little bit. Um, yeah. half pipe's pretty pretty tough on your body and um, yeah i was i was gonna ask you about that actually because obviously like you say you've been you've been basically leading it in that arena now for like 20 years really <laughs> coming, coming up to 20 years and obviously in that time of you've had some pretty serious injuries and pretty you know some really lengthy periods of rehab and you know, some, some real challenges to sort of keep, keep you, keep your body in shape really. Like, so how, sure. how how's that been? Like, are, are you kind of feeling like you've, you've reached the limit of that now? Cause that must be draining to sort of, obviously the, you know the riding, I mean? the riding is one thing, isn't it? But like to keep, to keep coming back from those kind of setbacks, like, how do you find that? Yeah. I think that like, I think the, the hardest part, um, is really the, just keeping up with the tricks and learning those tricks. I mean, the airbag has become such a standard thing in competitive slope style and half pipe. And I really give credit to the people who like don't really want to use it, you know? Um, and we were some of the kids who like started that, you know, I mean, I remember riding with Kevin Pierce, uh, back in like 2009, um, and really, you know, diving into the airbags pretty hard, um, and, and learning double corks and things like that. Sean had like his foam pit and, um, 
but you know, to, to stay on the grind and learning those tricks, you, you almost need that stuff sometimes. And that's why it's really rad that like, you know, Mark McMorris, Brock Crouch, that like these kids just don't want to use the airbag for multiple reasons. One being that it's just like, it's a little bit kooky to be jumping into an airbag time after time, after time, after time, and then taking it to a jump. And that is the safe maybe way to do it um, in a sense. Uh, but it's it that's new in snowboarding, you know, to be able to chuck these three flips, four flips, land on your head time and time again. Um, but the airbags are also painful. I stopped hitting them because you're just landing on this flat airbag and it ended up really hurting my back a lot. I right. Done at the end of the day and it would feel like I, I took a ton of slams even though I was jumping into an airbag. But the the battle of just like keeping up with the tricks is really the the hardest part you know i went to sauce fay this year and i was like i'm just gonna like brush up on some tricks ride some half pipe and maybe i'll learn some new ones maybe not i don't know and i got there and i was just blown away at how quickly that was moving even though it happens every year the olympics come around we get this huge jump in um you know we get this big increase in what kind of tricks are possible and what you're going to see in the contest this year. And so, you know, seeing the triples in the half pipe by multiple people and, and, you know, Scotty James has been pushing it for a while in the half pipe and we've kind of been, he's kind of been a rad, like sort of, uh, you know, challenge for me. Uh, he's kind of pushing it in this level of bigger spins, bigger, more flips, more spins, and I've sort of tried to figure out ways to like work my way into like what I'll call like the more core tricks or like the cooler tricks that are that are hard, but not as hard as like a switchback double twelve or something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, that was you've really... kind of planted you've kind of planted the flag, haven't you, for like like you say the creative side of snowboarding. Like again, I was going to ask you about this because you've always had this because what we're talking about here, aren't we, is like the kind of the kind of classic argument about progression in snowboarding right now, particularly in like half pipe, you know, the gym, the gymnast sort of approach versus yeah. the the core approach as you, as you called it. And you've always, <laughs> you've always like had that, like you've always flown the flag for creativity and for like, you know, having an, having an approach to riding, which, which wasn't about like, okay, well, this is the trick of the day. I need to do that. I need to tick that box. Like, obviously you've always progressed, but you know what I mean? You've always had that, approach so it sounds it's interesting to hear that that sounds like that was quite conscious for you you know like a, it, about like a... it wasn't it wasn't at the time it was like what i thought was cool and what i wanted to do and you know if i'm being completely honest like doing those double corks and 1260s and things like that in the half pipe it's it's scary you know, it would frighten me <laughs> yeah. a little bit. And so <laughs> I was kind of pushing down a different path for, for multiple reasons. One being, um, I just, I didn't love doing those tricks. I couldn't do them with a lot of style. I found myself doing them like everyone else. And I yeah. found my runs starting to look like everyone else's. And so at, at first it was like, okay, I want to throw like a switch backside air in my run because nobody at the time was doing that. I mean, Ross Powers, Elijah Teeter. There's all kinds of people who have done this over the, our, our sport. And I get a lot of credit for 
for being someone who's done it, but the, pe- this isn't new, you know, um, I was yeah. just doing it with double corks. So I think it was like sort of a nice way for the judges to be able to give me some good results because I had the bigger tricks in my run, but I also had some, some slower spinning tricks that allow you to do them with style. You know, you watch a lot of these tricks now in a half pipe event and a lot of the time people are getting rewarded and they're grabbing their boot. And it's yeah. like the judges don't even see it. It's a frontside double 12. Who cares if they grabbed their boot? They just did a frontside double 12 and it was clean. What did they grab? Oh, I think it was Indy. And you're like, no, dude, they grabbed their boot, you know, <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter. They're getting great scores. And, um, you know, that is the problem that I hit was just that I was trying to do these tricks and I'm watching them on film and I'm trying to learn them and I'm watching and I'm like, this looks so, I do not look good. This doesn't look yeah. good to me. And some of the kids do it with good style. I think Ayumu does a good job of like looking pretty tucked and controlled and not too weird in the air. Um, you know, and then there's plenty of riders who don't um, and they're getting good scores for it. And you know, to me, I would just rather continue down my path of snowboarding to do tricks the way that I like to do them and do tricks that I think look good. Um, and that that was really a big part of of pushing towards that style of, of, of half pipe riding and my body. You know, it was like, OK, do I want to like try to win X Games or Olympics or whatever this year and potentially put my body on the line so that I can't snowboard for another year or even beat my body up enough so that I'm lessening my, my time on earth to snowboard. Um, or can I, can I make this last longer and keep riding half pipe the way I'd like to and keep my body healthy and, and I get to skate, I get to surf and I get to do my job the way I want to do it. I get to free ride and I get to do a few contests and I get to enjoy it. And, and I get a pat on the back for it sometimes. And that, that's nice too. But but really, um, I hate getting injured. I spent years, like you were saying, of of knees and ankles and my back and my pelvis and arms and fingers. And I ripped my finger out of the socket one year. And that took like, because tendons take so long, that took like 14 weeks to heal. It was like, yeah. for I had a cast on my thumb. I had this big like paddle for so long and I couldn't grab with this hand for like 12 weeks. And, um, you know, I just, I hate being injured. Um, and so I got to a point when I was younger, I used to just throw tricks, just willy nilly, just like, and I was loose. I was a loose cannon. And I think I did a lot of tricks that were, that were progressive, but I put my body on the line and, and sometimes I didn't do them with that much style, but I got them done. And, um, you know, that was a young Danny trying to make a mark in snowboarding and, and, um, and, you know, eventually I got to a point where I, I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do them. I wanted them to look good and and I wanted to, like, make it last. I didn't want to just, like, win the thing in front of me that weekend. I was thinking about Alaska in March or April. You know, I was thinking about going to New Zealand in the summer or South America and, Um, you know, I I think I was starting to look at it from a little bit pulled back lens, um, as opposed to like, okay, this week is whatever it was due to or X games. And I got to win this thing. So I need to learn the front side double 12 or whatever it is, you know? And, um, 
So it, it's, it was multi, multi-purposed, um, and, uh, but, but not always the smartest, you know, I definitely got a lot of fifths and sixth and tenths and, um, you know, I, I'm not someone who won a lot of contests in my career. I'm not the most winningest snowboarder, but that's okay. Uh, you know, yeah, I was it, reading, sounds, it sounds reading like the ride right. interview and he was saying the same thing. He's like, you know, like first place kind of sucks. Sometimes you got to hang out and do an interview <laughs> at the bottom forever. And all you want to do is go have a beer with your buddies and, and, um, second place, third place is a really nice place to be. You know, you're kind of like still get some cheese in your pocket and, uh, <laughs> you rode well, you probably put down a great run and, um, and you get to go enjoy the night. But also, you know, you're talking about doing it with integrity, aren't you? You know, you're talking about being true to like what your idea of good snowboarding is and what you're going to enjoy. Cause that, which has got to be part of the reason why you've been able to keep doing it for so long. Right. Cause you've kept, you've found a way of, like you say, balancing the progression with what you consider to be the important aspects of snowboarding. And as you've clearly demonstrated by what you've been saying, it's not just about progressions. It's about how you do it. It's about like what, what you're saying about snowboarding and what you're saying about the type of snowboarder you want to be. So that's, yeah. and I think that's why everybody really, you know, you said you get, you like, oh, you know, get praise for it. And, but I think that's why people are stoked, uh, are still stoked on it though, isn't it? Because they, I think everyone recognizes that. I think everyone recognizes that that's what you, your approach is. And, and that, that, I mean, that is important because if we don't, if, if people like you don't do that, then we do end up with figure skating, gymnastics. Yeah. And it's heading, know. heading that way. And it's, that's always been sort of on our mind. You know, everyone's always, oh man, our tricks getting too, is the sport getting too, like figure skating or high diving or something like that. And yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the aerialists, I think about aerial skiing. Um, and I don't even know if you're allowed to do as many flips as we're doing in snowboarding. Now, I think the aerialists have like, actually it's illegal to do more than a certain amount of flips, um, in aerial skiing. And, um, we may be surpassing aerial skiing here soon. Um, and, you know, I, I too think it was who inspired me, um, you know, like I was very heavily influenced by Danny Cass, um, was very heavily influenced by Scotty Lego, Trav, um, Terrier. And then, you know, as I got older, I started to really get into like Noah Selaznick and Kevin Jones and just like kind of the way that these guys ran their career was more about doing it to what they liked and, and to what looked good yeah. and what looked fun. Because at the end of the day, my job, unfortunately, whether I think that my job is to like be this amazing snowboarder, my job is to sell equipment and make people want to snowboard. That is the, the bear. If you break down my job, that is it. That's what I get paid to do. Yeah. And so if I'm doing tricks that nobody gives a shit about, I'm not doing my job. If I'm not doing tricks that look good and kids see that and then they're like, wow, I want to get rid of my skis and I want to snowboard because I want to do that because it looks cool. Um, you know, I think then, then I'm doing my job. And, and so, um, the people who I looked up to were really good at doing their jobs. They wanted to make, they made me want to either, you know, Terry made me want to free ride. Danny made me want to ride half pipe. Like, 
uh, Mason Aguirre made me want to ride half pipe and jump. And, you know, he was like one of the most stylish dudes I could think of when I was young. And, and so that's where I think it, it falls for me is just doing it the way that the people who inspired me and the people who I looked up to did it, you know, but yeah, I mean, style is good. It's good to support style in snowboarding. Um, and it is getting tougher and tougher in the snowboard, the current competitive snowboard market. But, um, but we need those, those other people too, to make us stand out. You know, if, um, (laughs) it, it works, it works in our favor, you know, thank God for the, the boot grabbers and the people who do stale fishes that aren't even stale fishes. They're just kind of grabbing in between their board. I mean, I heard this kid at this event I was doing in Michigan and I give out gifts. I, I go dressed as Santa and I give out like gloves and socks and goggles and whatever to kids who are, you know, younger or older than me, but I make them do tricks to get a present. And, you know, one kid said, I'm like, are you going to do a trick? What are you going to do? He said, yeah, I'm going to do it like middle grab. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's not a middle grab, man. It's an indie and it's not an indie if you don't poke your front leg and, you know, crunch your back leg. And like, you know, you can't just grab stink bug in the middle of your board and, and call that a middle grab. That's not a thing. Um, you know, but that, that is what, you know, sometimes is happening out there right now is people are just grabbing their board wherever gets the trick done and not really focusing on that so much. And like I said, there's, there is kids, thank goodness who are, and, and, you know, there's girls too, who focus on it and who don't focus on it. So it's, it's, we're very thankful the people who are, you know, I went to do tour and I'm watching do tour and I'm watching these women and I'm watching these men and, you know, I get stoked and I don't know why, but just naturally as a snowboarder, uh, I think what we get stoked on, but when I see someone grab proper indie and tweak it or method and do it real proper and stick out that back leg, I get really stoked on that. And, and I end up, those are sometimes these girls or guys are, are, um, ending up in seventh, eighth place, but I'm like that kid or that girl is is sick and it's not because they got first or second it's because they are doing tricks properly or the way that i like to see them done that's so who, like, who are you stoked on then quick geeky question on that one like who you know when when when, when you, mean, what, what riders were you were you kind of frothing on well i think you know in the slope style world um there's a lot in the slope style world i think slope style just in general, the courses allow for much more creativity. Um, and it's tough, you know, the triple corks and the quad corks are really making a lot of the tricks look the same because these tricks are hard to get around on these size jumps. Often amount of times the, the contests struggle with snow at this time of year. So the jumps end up being a lot smaller. And so, you know, you see a lot of mute and a lot of indie and a lot of these tricks look the same. So you know, you start to pick out these little nuances that people have, but like, you know, Mark McMorris is one of my good friends and I have a lot of respect for the way that he pushes his snowboarding, but you'll never see Mark like doing a trick and grabbing his thigh and balling up as tight as he can just to get a trick done. He's always got like an arm out and, and kind of like, not just, you know, grabbing like, 
to tuck and and get it done. He's he's thinking about that indie poke and that style in the middle of his trick. I think Brock Crouch does a great job. I think Rene Renacongas does a great job. Torgair, who doesn't compete as much anymore, is one of my favorite boarders. Um, you know, Arthur Longo, not really a competitor, but amazing, amazing snowboarder. The way he rides is great. Blake Paul, amazing stuff. Blake's new section that he, that he dropped is just so sick, isn't it? It is, it's, man. It's kind of the, yeah, the, the thing I've seen recently that's got me the most stoked, really. But yeah, I think in, in, in the slope style world, there's a lot more room for that because you have more airtime. You have more to work with on the course to get a little more creative. You got multiple rail features to get a little more creative. Dusty Henriksen is really fun to watch. The kid looks like he's sleeping on his snowboard. Um, you know, uh, in the half pipe, I think, um, it's, if I'm being honest, it's a little bit more challenging. I think there's some really good riding going on. Um, edge to edge, wall to wall there's a lot of kids riding really well i think sean's always been an amazing rider in the half pipe like his edging from lip to lip in the half pipe is phenomenal throughout the years like something that i've always tried to be more like and i think something that i really struggled with and my height in my tricks struggled with it something that scotty james really picked up on at a young age and mastered really well um i think scotty's riding super well um you know, I think he does some creative tricks and, and does some proper grabs. And there's times where I don't really like the grabs that he's doing within his tricks, but he is an incredible snowboarder. Uh, Taylor Gold looks really good, really strong. Ayumu is incredible. Ayumu's little brother Kaishu is <laughs> awesome. They're just like the raddest little force in half pipe riding. Um, you know, on the women's side, I think Corral is doing has really become a really good rider. Um, you know, Chloe got to give her props. She is way above the field. She just has this innate ability to do tricks that a lot of these women can't do. And she does them properly oftentimes. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of women um, that are stepping up in the half pipe world. And I think women's half pipe riding needs it um but a lot of women need to step up to chloe's level um but there there's a lot of good riding going on and i don't um i don't think that it's as easy as i might think it is to do these tricks with proper grabs i think that it, it is challenging and um i think that it's it's just something you know that these kids will end up focusing on once they get those tricks down a little a little better um, and they can start to add a little more style into it. I myself have done that in the past where you learn a trick and you're like, okay, that thing looks messy. I'm gonna get it a lot better, but this contest, I'm just gonna do it with wherever I can grab. Um, so there's a lot of good riding going on, and uh, it's good to see, man. It's but half pipes are hard to come by. You know, and I think that's the hardest part for, for half pipe riding right now is it's, um, it's just like, they're few and far between. I think in the USA, as far as 22 foot half pipes go, we might have two or three, um, in all of the U S I don't know in Europe where they are. I know locks has one, I think Les de Alps does one in the spring maybe. Um, but these oftentimes 
are private pipes when they get built and they're built for the national teams and the 1% of snowboarding. So half pipe snowboarding, uh, has a harder time surviving than slope style as far as like kids getting into it and kids being fully enthused about riding the half pipe. They're just, they're hard to find. And, um, it's an expensive world to be hanging out in. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like kind of country clubbing snowboarding, yeah. world, isn't it? Do you know what I mean though? Like, cause it, cause you, you need, you need that kind of, that right place. I think this is why people are so stoked on people like Arthur and Blake, isn't it? Because it's, you know, those parts that those two have dropped this season, for example, you know, it's, it's resort riding at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, it's like, it's in, it's yeah. kind of inbound side, side countries. It's like, and it, and it's, it's like, you can relate to it but that it's just like two of the best guys in the world doing it you know with yeah. with, with the style and creativity yeah and you know snowboarding is sort of a country club sport in some ways anyway i mean it is not a cheap unless you live in a mountain town and your family has your mom and dad have a job within the mountain community um it's a it's an expensive ordeal. I mean, coming from Michigan, I was lucky to have a hill nearby is 300 feet tall. Um, you know, but it's just like, it's a bit of an expensive sport to begin with. Um, you know, Blake is like the prince of Jackson hole, you know, um, he grew up in a very, uh, gifted scenario where he got to ride Jackson hole every day. Jackson is a you know, one of the most expensive places you could probably live for sure in our country, in America, and maybe in the world. Um, And, you know, that's its own, you know, thing. But like, yeah, at least, you know, riding terrain on your resort, those guys make it look really fun, really obtainable. And it is, you know, as long as you've got the snow and, and winter's being good to you, you can go try and ride like Arthur and Blake and, and Trav and, and go, you know, feel like you're in natural selection for a second, you know, find your local cliff or whatever. And, and, you know, I think that's where splitboarding has become such a rad tool in the snowboarders arsenal, which wasn't a thing for a long time. Um, you know, ski touring has always been a thing forever and snowboard touring really late nineties, maybe it was just kind of coming about, you know, I think, uh, Craig Kelly and John Buffrey and, and Tom Burt and Jim Zellers, you know, those are the kind of names that really got the, um, snowboard touring kicked off. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's a rad, um, tool to have, you know, from a cost perspective, it, it is expensive gear to own, but once you own it, walking into the mountains is as free as it gets. Um, and sure you're limited on runs, um, because you got to walk up the mountain, ride down and walk back up. But, keeps you in insane shape and it oftentimes gets you in a terrain where there's minimal minimal tracks you know so it's and it it allows you to find the terrain you're looking for too you know when you go to a resort you got what that resort has that's the terrain you have to pick from wherever those chairlifts take you and you can get into the side country that's your options but when it comes to splitboarding the options kind of become endless and it really opens up your local range you know i used to think that the Sierra Nevada where we live in California was, was small in some way. Like when I would think about it, um, it seemed small. And now when you get on a split board, it's so, so endless. It's just like, you could spend a whole lifetime trying to cover the, 
Sierra Nevada and you probably couldn't do it. I'd like to ask you a question about growing up snowboarding in, in Michigan. Cause you can't, yeah. you kind of hit, you kind of hit the, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Cause I, I guess, I guess the question I was going to ask is like you say, you know, if you, it's not the classic path, is it? from for like american professional snowboarders to sort of it's quite it's quite a it's not on the main path is it it's not the beaten track like to come from michigan and and kind of end up um and like you said there's someone like blake is a good example like kind of almost like hot housed in a way like brought up in this situation got iguchi travis you know carter like all these role models to sort of learn from but the path you took was obviously obviously pretty different um i chatted to sue a little bit before we chatted because obviously she's you know someone you've got a really long relationship with and she was saying that you know you kind of came the way she put it she put like she said like you kind of came out of nowhere like um in terms of the consciousness of u.s snowboarding turned up at the u.s open kind of survived on like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like had to hustle basically yeah. to kind of get get the shot is that is that a kind of picture that you recognize is that how it was yeah in, in the beginning days but i mean my parents were very we were rich in uh, opportunity in the sense that um there was nothing that if the opportunity was there my parents were happy to help make it happen um and whether that was you know digging deep into their pockets or not um you know that they were willing from a an effort standpoint to make it happen. You know, my mom would bail on work and come to nationals with me or go to the Vans triple crown with me. Um, you know, it, it, I was very lucky that, uh, it wasn't like, ah, nah, even though like at times we couldn't maybe afford it, we still made it happen. And then in, and I would make it happen. I would mow the lawn and mow neighbors lawns and, and crochet beanies and sell them to the local snowboard shop to make money. And, Um, you know, not that it would cover it or anything, but my parents, you know, if the effort was there for me, then they were willing to dig into their own pockets and make it happen. But, you know, I do remember, yeah, some of the early contests, we were definitely on a budget. Um, and, and, you know, snowboard school, we met all these kids who went to snowboard school and my parents at first were like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, but we can't pay 30 or $40,000 for you to go to school for the year because, well, public school's free, um, but it it was very um, it was very out of out of our means. And then eventually, you know, through like Ross Powers Foundation and through Stratton Mountain School giving me a scholarship, like I started to be able to do this stuff that the more affluent uh, community could could make possible for themselves. And so. I was lucky. I had a lot of opportunity, you know, it started with opportunity for my parents being willing to just drive up to Northern Michigan and then out to the East coast. And then eventually get it, getting them to fly with me out to Colorado and California. Um, and then I ended up going to snowboard school, but, um, it was definitely coming from Michigan. You're, you're not born in Jackson hole or, or glacier Washington or, you know, where you're riding these incredible mountains and you're just getting to spend a lot of time on your board riding great terrain or even mammoth, you know, mammoth had amazing parks growing up. And a lot of my friends that I was growing up with, like Scotty Lego, Mason, Kevin Pierce, like 
these guys were living in Mammoth at like 14, 15 years old and getting to ride like the best terrain park in the world. And um, that seemed so like I was just dying to do that. Even when I had the opportunity to go to Stratton Mountain School, um, I was like looking at those guys. They were way ahead. Now that I had reached Stratton Mountain School, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in the best place I can be at 15 years old. But then I went to school and realized, oh, the guys who are really doing it are living in Mammoth and riding, you know, what park Danny Cass is riding every day. Um, and so it, you know, if you let that affect you too much, though, I think um, you'll start to to kind of manifest some bad thoughts and you kind of just got to deal with what you have, you know, and living in Michigan, I didn't really know any better. I didn't even know that free riding was a thing. I mean, <laughs> we were riding tow ropes and, and had one rail in our park and a really shitty half pipe. And that was everything to me. I didn't even know that free riding was a thing. I didn't know who Jamie Lynn was. I didn't know who Craig Kelly was. I didn't know who Terrier was at that time. Um, you know, I didn't even really know who snowboards that pro snowboarding was a thing uh, that it was just, you know, that 300 foot slope was everything to me. Um, so, you know, you kind of got to just be stoked with what you have and pour yourself into it. But I was lucky to have opportunity, you know, and, and uh, that that came from all aspects came from my parents, uh, came from people like Ross Powers it came from companies like Burton and Mountain Dew. And, um, you know, I just got a lot of opportunity. Sue is a big part of that opportunity, introducing me to all sorts of people and, and telling them like, this kid's amazing. You, you, you want this kid. He's awesome. Or you want to have him in your life. Um, so, you know, and then my friends too, you know, the opportunity to just have a ton of friends and get invited on trips because you're friends with people. Uh, that was, that was a big part of it too. So, you know, really taking, um, you know, grabbing those opportunities and doing everything you can with them was, was, was probably the smartest thing I could do. Um, but I had opportunity and not everybody has opportunity. I see a lot of the greatest snowboarders in the world, um, who didn't have a ton of opportunity, you know, and that's, uh, that's just part of it. That's just, some of us are luckier than others. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why the world works that way, but it does. Yeah. I guess that's what, what I meant when you, when you said, you know, like, like you say, if you grew up in Mammoth, you grew up in Whistler, you know, yeah. in, I don't know, Vale, it's a path. Yeah. You've got a lot better chance, right? It's a, Your it's, opportunity. It's, a, it's a path. You know, if you're like, if you're 10 and everyone's like, wow, this kid's ripping, you, you're going to start thinking like, ah, oh, maybe this is a path for me, but for you, like, like you say, that wasn't even something that you were aware of. It's just something that you had to kind of fight a bit harder for. So with all that in mind, do you think that um, that different approach affected the way that you've kind of approached your career? Because again, like we said, you know, a bit of a theme of what we're talking about is, is the way you've, I don't want to simplify it, but you know, you've, you've, you have carved your own path through professional snowboarding. You've described it on a literal way with the, with the way you approach riding contests. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to like your future plans. You've always had a bit of a take, you know, like about how you want to do it. So do you think, do you think where you came from, the way you had to get there influenced that? Definitely. Definitely. I don't want to say that like I appreciated it more than others or kids who, maybe 
had it a little easier don't appreciate it. It's 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 not that because I think that there's friends of mine who had every opportunity and they took a hold of it, you know. Um, and even um, growing up in places like Jackson, Mammoth, Whistler, you name it. Um, you know, look at Mark McMorris. He's from the prairies of Canada. Um, yeah. I mean, he's another he, great example, isn't he? You know, of this thing yeah. that we're talking about. And he took advantage of every opportunity. You know, he had an opportunity to work with uh, the Canada snowboard team and, and other people uh, in Canada to like get him onto some bigger slopes and some bigger jumps. But, you know, talent, you know, is something too that some people have and some people don't. Um, and, and I've seen it the other way around where people have are born in the right place. They have everything in front of them, but they're missing that talent and they really have to work hard at getting that talent. They almost have to work harder than some just to learn those tricks and stuff because it's not innately in there. But I think I was lucky too. And maybe Mark is kind of similar in this stretch where he was like a wakeboarder, you know, and I, you know, I used to do like gymnastic classes when I was really young. My mom was like a jazz dance instructor and kind of comes from that gymnastics world. And just as a young kid, I would do gymnastics classes long before I snowboarded. Louis Vito, same thing. Amazing gymnast. Anna Gasser, amazing gymnast. Um, So there is these little avenues that you're going down as a young kid that you didn't even know were, were setting you up to, to be a good snowboarder. And I was lucky to have the flipping in my, you know, blood a little bit or, or, or something that I had in front of me, you know, when it came time to do double corks and double flips, they came a lot easier to me than they did to Kev because Kev just hadn't spent as much time on trampolines and flipping upside down multiple times. Um, so, you know, and I I remember going to like the gymnast place and getting in a belt system and my mom pulling on the rope and me being able to do like double backflips safely on a trampoline when I was like 12, a 10. And we weren't even that into snowboarding yet. It was just like what we did for fun was go to the gymnast place. And, and so, um, you know, I was lucky in that, in that sense too. So like, being from a mountain town definitely gives you this little edge, but that it doesn't it doesn't put the the you know the crown on you right there. There's so much more that goes into it. But I, I think to, to answer your question, I, I appreciated it a lot. Um, I grew up riding really icy man-made snow, very short slopes, no terrain, you know, really minimal terrain. And when we got to go to places like Vermont or even California, I remember my first time going to Mammoth for USASA Nationals. We went and rode this half pipe at June Mountain. And a lot of people were complaining, like when we got there, that they had to go ride June Mountain and that, you know, Mammoth was getting the half pipe ready and there's contests in it all day. So it's Nationals. It's age five years old to 60, 70 years old. Uh, that they're doing contests for. So we went to June and I was like, this is the most incredible half pipe I've ever ridden. Um, You know, it was just amazing. And a lot of people were complaining about the half pipe, but I didn't know any better. So I I think innately, I just was a little more stoked on the conditions all the time and stuff because I was from Michigan and it was a little bit harder to ride there. Um, you know, and, and some people say like, if you can ride the East coast, you can ride anywhere. And 
I don't know that that's necessarily true, but um, riding ice all the time definitely prepares you uh, for when you get to ride good snow. You really, really are stoked on it. And when you consistently get to ride good snow, you're extra stoked. And we get spoiled. I'm super spoiled. I'm here in St. Moritz, which is like so beautiful, massive mountain, so much terrain, and it's icy as hell. And I'm just like, my, you know, my lady's like, should we go get a beer? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good on the snowboarding <laughs> side of things. Like, and a little young Danny Davis would be like, hell no, like, let's keep boarding. This is so sick, even though it's pure ice out there. Um, you know, it's, it's just perspective is everything a lot of the time in life. And when you can, I think one thing that can really help is when, even when you're having those thoughts of like, this sucks or this is whack or, uh, you know, to just pull back and have some perspective that, uh, you know, just I, I have a thing that's up at the cabin that came with it. And it says, if you're lucky enough to spend time in the mountains, you're lucky enough, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's that's very true, um, I think, in so many ways, um, you know, and, and you can you can dial that into like as far as you want, you know, look at what a lot of the world has. I mean, we are very much in this 1% um, of, of living conditions, you know, just being from the USA. So it's like perspective is everything. Did you, I got to ask you, did you say your mom was a, a, a jazz dance instructor? <laughs> she sounds fucking rad. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time she was. Yeah. She, she did that for a while. She's a, for most of my life, my mom sold real estate, but when, um, when her and my dad were first together and when my brother was really young. And I think even when I was even really young, it was kind of a side hustle for her was, was, uh, was teaching jazz dancing and, uh, and, and gymnastics and stuff. And, and, uh, but that, that was definitely a world that my mom was in, 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 in college and stuff like that. And my dad was super into sports. My dad went to college on a, a wrestling scholarship Right. Um, he played football and all that stuff. So sports were everything in our household. And yeah. my parents had their rule was like, you have to play a sport or have something every season. Maybe it wasn't a sport per se, but like, you know, my, for my brother, music was huge. And, um, so a lot of, I mean, he played a lot of sports too, but music played really heavily into what he did later in life. And, and that was kind of our parents' rule was like, okay, you don't have something this season. So why don't you join like the middle school band or whatever, you know, and nothing's less cool than band in middle school, but, um, <laughs> but we did it, you know, and, and, and looking back, it was such a blessing, even though like you felt kind of kooky where a lot of your kids who were on the football team were like, you're in band class. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I am. But like, now the guy who knows how to play the guitar or the piano at the party when you're 20 yeah. years old gets all the chicks. So it's like, um, but yeah, it, we, we played sports was our thing. That was baseball, football, soccer, uh, golf. I was on the golf team because I didn't want to play football anymore. Once I got to high school and my parents were like, that's cool. But what are you going to do in football season then? And I'm like, I'm going to skateboard. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you can skate, but like, what are you going to do? What practice are you going to every day? And, and um, you know, I think now the beauty of 
you know, a lot of people complain about how snowboarding's gotten so mainstream or skating has, but at least parents are seeing these as real avenues and real activities for kids to do after school every day and stuff, you know, where even my parents were some of the more open-minded people when I, I felt like when it came to that. Um, but even skateboarding wasn't like a legit sport to do after school, you know? It, yeah, you no, it's a really, really good point that, isn't it? Cause like when you're, yeah, yeah when you're, when you're a kid growing up, like, you know, decade, two decades ago, whatever. Yeah. It's like what skateboarding, like what the fuck's this? Like, you know, we're not, <laughs> whereas like now, yeah, you know, obviously it's like, Oh yeah, skateboarding. That's fine. Yeah. You can do that. Cause that's a real thing. It's in the Olympics. We've seen it. Yeah. You're right. I mean, for all yeah. the, for all the criticism there are obviously yeah for, for, for it, kids it's it's a great thing isn't it you know yeah and it's a double-edged sword you know like uh we there there yeah there's good things that come from that and um there's bad things that come from it but i, I we think we just hope and we try to focus on the good outweighing the bad um you know and a lot of people Two, uh, I think now as I start to be more in the free ride community side of snowboarding, um, you know, and, and competition boarding kind of like, I don't want to say it's kooky, but you know, when you're a competition boarder, a lot of the free riding and a lot of those like guys in that world are sort of like, oh, you're still competing and, uh, you know, like you should get out of that crap and come into the back country. And it's like, hell yeah. I, I, I love that. I mean, free riding is the shit. Um, and I think that, that, you know, the competition kids are some of the hardest working kids in snowboarding. I mean, it is like a grind, a serious grind showing well, up to be, the half pipe. You, you gotta be right. You, you yeah. You're showing you're up to the slope style course at 8am, no matter if it's cloudy, flat light, sunny, snowing, you're going and you're hitting jumps and you're doing flips and you're doing 1080s and um, it is a grind. It is those are some hardworking kids and and those are some hardworking people in snowboarding. And just as I think the competition world looks at free riding and is like, oh, how nice would that be just to like film all year? Like that seems so chill and easy and you get into filming and you get into free riding and that side of snowboarding and you learn real quick that this is not the easy side of no side is easy in professional snowboarding. It's all got its respectable grind. And, um, you know, I've been on both sides of it now. And I used to think that too, like, Oh, I'd love to just be filming all year. That sounds so chill and so easy and like ride powder all the time. But you're actually looking for powder all the time, looking for good snow. You're either walking to it or snowmobiling to it and getting your snowmobile stuck or, you know, wasting your day walking up a mountain or whatever. So it's, you know, I think, um, again, perspective, you know, is just like everyone's kind of got something to say about uh, the side of snowboarding that they're not on. And, you know, it's the same, I'm sure, for riding in the streets. I've never really gotten to like dive down that path, but those guys grind and they are up super late trying to hit spots that they're not supposed to be at. And they got to go at weird hours in the morning or night and um, and go find these spots and hit these spots. And, and they get tickets and they get yelled at. They got people watching them all the time. And, you know, um, so I think every side of snowboarding has its... Uh, deserves respect and i think you know you got to give it where it's due so earlier it sounded a bit like 
you know you're on the cusp of a, a change maybe you know you sort of <laughs> you were, you were almost like ah oh, you know i'm kind of at the point like where how long can, I'm, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth but you were kind you know you were almost saying like yeah you know how long can i keep keep doing it you know the progression the the beating up your body so what 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 is the plan because you you know you've like you say you've diversified you've been free riding you've been up denali you've done some pre you know there's been some you've experienced a lot of different sides as you say of snowboarding what where do you see it going from this point man um at the moment it's like i'm most i think if i'm being honest i'm most interested in free riding and filming and getting photos. Um, and it's really the people I'm around, you know, I, I think, um, you know, my days spent with like Blotto out in the back country or, or, or Blatt, you know, I've been spending a lot of time with Aaron Blatt. Um, you know, I just have so much fun, that grind, that side of snowboarding where we're getting up at 4am and driving to the trailhead, whether it's splitting or we're sledding or whatever we're doing. And then we're going out and we're finding something cool that nobody's ridden that day, or maybe nobody's ever ridden. And we're finding a way to hit it that maybe nobody's really hit. Um, and, and then coming up with a trick on it or coming up with a cool turn or, or a lot of times it's like from the photography standpoint or the filming standpoint, it's like this shot. That's like a little piece of art that you're making um, and it's really fun. That's what I'm finding a lot of joy in that right now. And, um, that's kind of where my desire lays right now. Um, and you know, springtime is where, you know, and summer and stuff like that is where the volcanoes and Denali and some of the, like that stuff. I love camping. I love like, I love the suffer a little bit, you know? Um, I think Nick Russell really instilled that into me over the last few years of the suffering is kind of fun. Um, you know, and it's a very like Buddhist way of, of boarding where, you know, um, enjoying the suffering and really being at peace with feeling like shit and being like exact, like just so zapped on energy and so dead and really just taking so much joy in that. Um, well, there's a lot the of, hon- there's a lot of honesty in that, isn't there? You know, it's, yeah. real, it's like, it feels like, yeah. You know, it feels like you've 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 stripped it right back to like the bare elements of like oh, you yeah. and the experience. And that and that yeah. does that does feel I mean it yeah. it's it feels as good as you, it's a feeling as good as you can get in snowboarding, isn't it? It's a different feeling obviously than yeah. than a trick or or like yeah. a a good day in a resort or whatever, but it's still it's still like as legitimate, isn't it? And it's it, it's yeah, really honest. I, think, I always like, think I think touring, um, snowboard touring is, is kind of rad because a lot of the time, or at least in my experience, like almost 50% of the time, there's no photographer, there's no filmer. It is like a pure enjoyment. Um, and, and beta gathering really is what we're doing out there a lot. Um, and, but you know, no cameras, no, no photography and no way to really claim what you're doing or get kudos for what you did. Um, you're really out there enjoying it, whether it's just walking in the mountains. I mean, I love, I just said to my lady the other day, it was a couple days, uh, it was uh new year's day and you know, we 
had drinks the night before and we're all talking. I'm like, I just love to just go walk around in the mountains tomorrow. Like, I don't even care how much snowboarding we do. I would love to just go walk around and just kind of like waste myself on energy, uh, by just walking around in the mountains. And, and I enjoy that part so much. Um, but you know, as back to like where my head's at and where it's going, um, I'm just enjoying that that grind of snowboarding. I mean, I'm so inspired by like, you know, Mikey Rents is someone I really look at as one of my favorite snowboarders of all time because he has, for one, the dude's been on Burton for like 23 years, 24 years, and he's not much older than me. Um, maybe a few couple years older than me, but this dude has been through all these cycles of snowboarding and it's never gotten old to him. He's like, he's just at it every day, loves it, whether it's pow surfing or snowmobiling or snowboarding an incredible face in great snow. Um, I just, I'd like love that side of snowboarding, like going and finding new lines, going to peaks that minimal people have ridden. Um, that's just cool to me right now. The half pipe, I'm trying to chase something that everybody else is probably doing better than me. Like, can I do back-to-back 14s better than Ayumu? Probably not. And, and um, you know, I'm like chasing this thing, like this run, trying to put my run next to these guys that like are really maybe more hungry in that world than I am. Um, so it's just less fun to me to be in the half pipe and, um, you know, maybe, maybe I've done it too long, you know, and it's starting to get a little stale in that sense. But I think it's just where my head's at is like wanting to free ride and wanting to learn a new side of snowboarding. Um, not that I've mastered the half pipe or I'm the best ever. I really do not feel that way at all. Um, but I, I just haven't at all even began to master, um, free riding, you know, and, and that comes from the way I pick out lines. I'm still learning about that, the way I approach a mountain and how we get to the top. I'm still learning about that, how to like do it safely. Um, and two, I just feel like free riding is something I can do until the day I die. I look at guys like, like Terrier, like Jim Zellers or Tom Burt, guys I see in Truckee who like, I mean, I just love like the way that they snowboard now. Like it is, they, they are, they're going to be able to turn until the day they die, you know? Um, and, and that's where my head is, is really at, um, is really kind of trying to become a good mountaineer in a way. Um, and I don't think that means that necessarily walking up mountains and having an ice ax in my hand, I don't mean it mountaineer in that sense. Um, I think Mikey is a mountaineer. You know, he does a ton of snowmobile access, but the way that he's he's in the mountains, getting to the top of these things with a machine sometimes, sometimes he's on foot hiking it in verts. Um, but, you know, I want to be um, the guy that I, where, where, where I'm at is I would love for people to be able to come to Tahoe and be like, hey, I want to go out and I want to ride – some pal, like, where should we go? And I can go show them an amazing day safely. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where my head's at. I don't want to be a guide. Don't get me wrong. Like I have zero desire in being a guide. I think 
um, that all the skills those guys have and the knowledge they have, I want that knowledge. I just don't want anybody. Um, I don't want some random client on my yeah. uh, conscience and, um, I don't want that kind of money making, uh, scenario on getting people, but I want my friends to be able to come to Tahoe and me take them out for an amazing day and show them an amazing time and make them want to snowboard more. And, um, and I want to keep riding stuff that I haven't ridden and I want to be able to like learn new tricks, uh, in a sense that's maybe not the actual trick, but the feature I did it on and, um, the way we found that feature and getting cool photos. And, you know, I want to inspire people to snowboard more and that's, that's really where I'm at. And I just feel like I can't really do that in the half pipe anymore. It's not, I can go enjoy the half pipe for myself. I can go do a frontside air or air to fakie and cab 10, whatever. And I really enjoy that. I had so much fun at do tour just a couple weeks ago. Like I was almost talked into like jumping back on the Olympic grind because I enjoyed <laughs> that so much, man. I, really? I was like, it that's was really funny. fun having to put a run together and like showing up to an event and being like, okay, what's my run going to be? Like, I haven't been working on this run for the last few months. Like a lot of these kids, that was really fun. And like feeling stoked at the bottom landing two runs that there is a thrill in that still, uh, for me, but I just don't feel that I'm really like, um, doing my job in the half pipe anymore. I just feel like I'm, you know, there's other people who are better at it than I am right now. And, and, um, and there always has been, but I just feel that I'm, I'm just not as into it as I once was and ice. I just don't really love ice, you know? Yeah. And, well, you've done, you've done your, your, your time on ice, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> but like I end up riding a ton of ice with Nick Russell. Let me tell you, like, fucking, yeah. I've noticed go, that about, about, we go about climb Nick's. these mountains sometimes. And I'm just like, Nick's like, Oh man, we should go ride that peak. And I'm like, dude, that shit looks wind hammered and just bulletproof. I didn't want nothing to do with that. And he's like, yeah, you're probably right. But it'd be sick to get to the top of that thing. And you know, I'm, I'm always keen to go as long as the riding's good. You know, Nick asked me like, you got any desire to go to the Himalaya? And I'm like, I do in a sense because I've never been there and I would love to go visit Nepal or India or like, you know, I'd love to be in that and I've never gotten to go meet those people and be inspired by that kind of way of living. But as far as the riding goes, no, I have no desire because everything I see from there just looks gnar. Uh, I'm going to send you a link to this thing I found on YouTube the other day. It's fucking mad. It's, it's, uh, it's called the man who skied down Everest and it's like from about 1970 and it's this oh. Japanese, it's this Japanese guy basically who I think might be the first person to ski Everest. And Sick. basically they do this so it's, cause it's like 1970. They walk, you know, they walk in from Kathmandu. So it's like a oh, 300, yeah. 300 K walk in. And, uh, he like, he gets, he gets, he doesn't summit, but he gets to like, sort of 26,000 feet and then he basically because he's a speed skier really and obviously 1970 it wasn't really like free riding you know it's like oh yeah so he and they attach a parachute to him and basically he pretty much straight lines this thing um it is and it is like please send me this she, <laughs> she she ice honestly i was watching it and i was like 
how the fuck have I never heard of this There's guy? Footage of it. How'd they film it? They That's they they, they obviously took a proper crew up. It's like a wow. real. It's a proper. It's like a hour twenty film. Sick. I'll send you the. I'll send you the link. But on, a, and just while you mentioned Nick, like how's that latest episode of the fifty? Oh where, yeah, man. That that was a funny one. Like. My wife was was at home when he came back, and uh, or or actually she was home before he went, maybe, and I was there when he came back. I can't recall, but just a funny beat down again, like like we talked about the suffering, loving the suffer, like you know, even though they didn't get to the top, I think that was a really great trip for Nick because when you don't get to the top of these things or you don't get to ride what you wanted to ride, it was always an excellent beta trip because a lot of the time yeah, we're going for these, these peaks or these objectives that are pretty gnarly a lot of the time and stuff like we're going there, not having spent a day ever in those mountains in our entire lives or, or maybe we've spent a couple of days, but we'd never been in that zone or whatever. So it's like, it's always a great beta mission. You know, you just get, you know, you meet the pilot and you meet the guys from where you take the plane from, or you ride down to the ocean. And so if you go back, you're like, Hey, we do not want to go this, you know, like we don't want to go back down to the ocean. Yeah. Like let's not go down that shoot again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so I think Nick was a little like was beaten down after that trip, just because like it, he would have loved to get to the top, but at the same time he came back with a big smile on his face because they got so beat down and because like it was such a mission. And, you know, I feel like Nick, it's kind of like, he's gotten a little bit of that Jones effect where I call it the Jones effect where <laughs> literally you go riding with Jer and I feel like, and, and Jer would laugh at me and be like, Hey, I've been on a lot of trips where we've gotten completely skunked. But every time I go out with Jer and I watch a lot of the trips he goes on, it seems like he nails it just so fucking well. And I that happens with Nick a lot of the time when I'm with him, like that Jones effect where we go and we're like, we just fuck that was insane. We just had 20 days on Denali with epic conditions, great snow, tons of sun, minimal weather. Um, you know, like we went to Bolivia and we got hammered down in like a lightning storm, but like we got to ride some incredible shit that nobody's ever ridden. And, you know, I'm just, sometimes I'm, I don't know how we get so lucky sometimes that, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see those projects that every now and then we get beat down and we don't get to make our objective. And I think those are important for people to see stuff like that episode of the 50 project and what Cody's set out to do with that is really really impressive yeah uh, it's a, yeah it's it, a, it, get, it gets more impressive like the longer it goes it on it's like you see this the scale of it the ambition of it it's like yeah yeah i mean it, one of the lines that he wanted to ski is gone now the whole right. mountain fell off you know oh, like i didn't the know whole, that <laughs> yeah i forget which one it is i want to say it's in canada somewhere it might be in the northwest but yeah like the whole mountain just all this rock just broke off and the wow. line is gone um right. and so he won't be able to ever ride that one and you know it's and the zellers the 49 yeah yeah and zellers has a story like that in new zealand where he rode something near mount cook in new zealand and um you know that thing same thing like this huge serac or glacier or whatever just fell off the mountain and that line will never be ridden again and that's kind of the 
the beauty and sort of always something to remember with snowboarding and skiing is that like, you know, this stuff's always changing and, and, um, you know, to have a desire and kill yourself over like riding this one thing, like, you know, it, it, this stuff's ever changing and it's about enjoying like this stuff you can ride and the stuff that is obtainable that allows you to go home to your family or your friends and, and enjoy another day out in the back country. You know, I think Jeremy, when I'm out there in the mountains walking around with him, um, he speaks so highly of all these guys that are really seasoned mountaineers that are 50, 60 years old. And, you know, he's always like, what an incredible feat to spend that much time in the mountains and continue to be able to do it. And I think that I never thought about snowboarding that way uh, until maybe the last few years where it's like spending time safely in the mountains and, and doing rad shit is probably the biggest accomplishment that you could ask for in our world because we get away with so much. And the more I learn about avalanche safety and I, I go to these courses and we get these case studies of like stuff like the Craig Kelly incident. I was just at a Abbey course in Baldface where we got the Craig Kelly case study and like, and I'm hearing all these other case studies from all these other riders at the, at the avalanche course. And I'm just like, looking at these stories and I'm like, man, we have gotten so lucky out in the mountains and gotten away with murder sometimes. And, um, that's incredible. And you got to just be happy with that sometimes and be happy with the times when you're halfway up something and you're like, this doesn't feel right. I don't like this. I don't like that. Let's turn around. You know, that's a, that's when you have your big kid pants on and, and you're, you're being, um, pretty, pretty adult and, and smart about, um, your mountaineering experience. Uh, you got to give yourself a pat on the back on those days because, um, you know, you're, you're, you're living to ride another day and, and you're going to make more turns and get to enjoy great snow. So, um, I think that's always like, uh, something that doesn't get enough credit in, in snowboarding and skiing is, is those guys who have been doing it for so long and picking off amazing lines and they're 60 years old or whatever. It's just like, you're more badass than I'll ever be, you know? Um, yeah. Cool. Well, I, I, like you say, it's like why that episode of the fifties as important as the ones where they're getting to the summit, like skiing the line. Cause that's, that is the reality as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. like of, of, of that endeavor basically. Yeah. And there's times when that's not to be, you know, misconstrued with, there is times where you need to push forward and the shit gets hard and uh not calling it quits is is the right thing to do too so it's it's definitely this game that we play all the time but um but yeah backing off of things is never never a bad call you can always well you can't always go back i guess but um you know you live to ride another day is always a nice way to be that's for sure yeah hey man well i'm gonna ask you one more question because i'm very i'm very aware that you're on your honeymoon (laughs) (laughs) and you laughing yeah thanks marge appreciate it you're very welcome um yeah final question i mean it's a bit you know it's a bit of a classic sort of snowboard podcast question but i'm i'm gonna ask it anyway um and this is from a friend of mine actually um he asked me to ask you this what's the best feeling thing you've ever done on a snowboard oh man well oh there's lots and I think it's changed throughout my life. 
Um, you know, like just being in Michigan for a few days the other day was so sick riding tow ropes and stuff like that vibe of like the skate park feeling like at one point in my life, that was everything that was the coolest feeling I could get everybody you see everything that's going on in the park, you're on the tow rope, you're doing a million laps like the, the that feeling was really rad at one point. Um, I think right now in my life, uh, the way that I consider it, um, the raddest feeling, you, you know, I, I love like a lot of people ask me what my favorite trick in the half pipe is. And it, it's without a doubt an air to fakey, um, for, for multiple reasons, but more so, I think the best feeling on a snowboard is, is finding that grab and for me, a lot of time it's indie or like in the middle of a McTwist when you can really crank Japan. But really when you're in the air and you're putting so much effort into whatever grab you're doing, you're like contorting your body in these weird ways that you could never do on land or like you need that air and that freedom of like gravity and space to like tweak your board. But um just grabs, man. Plenty of airtime to do a grab where you get to like tweak your board and your body in a rad way that gets captured in a photo. And you're like, whoa, how did I get my body like that? But it that is to me and maybe will always be my favorite thing on a snowboard. I mean, nothing ever beats a turn in some deep pow, like some fast frontside turn. Um, I love that shit, but man, doing grabs and, and tweaking them, like just with all your strength that you have. I mean, that is like, that's the best feeling to me on a, on a snowboard. And I wish I could do it on my skateboard. And I, I wish I could turn, like I turn on my snowboard on a surfboard, but I can't, yeah. but I can I grab think, I think my that, I think that very, I think that very, every time I go surfing, <laughs> I'm always well, and, like, if I can Cologne, one, one turn. Just one. Yeah, I know. I'm right there with you. And Kolohe, in this this more recent video they put out, I I don't recall what it's called, but uh, it's sick. They got stuck in – or they went during the pandemic to the Maldives, I think. Okay. Um, I've not seen that. I'll have a look. I I think it's the Maldives. But anywho, they go to like Tahiti or somewhere where they got kind of like on this boat and they're just like there. Or maybe it was Fiji. I don't recall, but he at some point in the movie is just like, man, airs are cool, but like airs suck, man. They beat your body up and da da da. I just want to go out and surf and do snowboard turns. Like, and I was just like, fuck, that's so sick. Like, yeah. Well, John John did that Insta post where he just put the caption snowboard. And I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I, did, I think it's like, but... I think it's like backdoor. Just yeah, like man. Ridic- ridiculous turn. I mean, that is like maybe the best feeling too. Turns, man, where you don't, you aren't thinking about a bottom hitting some like weird bottom in your turn. Like it's just bottomless and you just can just lay all your effort into a turn. I mean, that is, that's an amazing feeling too. But I think for me, the best feeling on my board is, is airtime and just tweaking tail grabs, indie grabs, whatever it is. Uh, that is, I feel, I feel badass when I get to do that. So there you go. That was me and Danny Davis, and I hope you enjoyed it. What an absolute legend, eh? That really was a total pleasure, and um, I hope you enjoyed that insight into Danny's 
life, career and views on snowboarding. Big thanks to Danny and Marge for letting me intrude on their honeymoon and for being such great sports. And thanks to you for listening to this episode. And if you did enjoy it, why not consider sharing it? I know, right? Um, Yeah, definitely helps get more ears on the show which is something I'm obviously quite interested in. Couple of clicks, bang, done. I also recorded video for this one and have released the entire 3D version of this chat on my YouTube channel. Yeah, I do have one, but you know, life is short, so I don't update it or even look at it that often, to be honest. But I decided to make more of an effort this year, starting now. In this, I'm helped by my friend Duncan Yeldum, who takes care of the video stuff for me. So big up Duncan and thanks for your help as ever. All right, housekeeping corner. And yeah, I did take a few weeks off over Christmas and New Year, which was very welcome and much needed, to be honest. I had a fair few listeners get in touch after listening to the rather downbeat housekeeping corner that closed off the festive special. I did wonder if I should put that out, to be honest, because it was a bit doomy. Um, But then, as I said at the time, it was a true reflection of how I was feeling at at that moment. So I figured I might as well. Anyway, thanks to everybody who got in touch about that. Um, especially listener Duncan Parr, who sent me a lovely note which said, Hi Matt, hope all is good. Wanted to let you know that your slightly downbeat tone in the housekeeping corner of the festive pod was actually quite appreciated in this corner of Brittany. I agree with your suggestion that our mood and energy levels inevitably vary and follow cycles and it was personally extremely timely. Can't speak. Sorry, Duncan. Like you, I've had a great year, all things considered, but the end of December found me feeling a bit shy. Thankfully, feeling more positive now and looking forward to the coming year. Keep doing what you're doing. It's much loved and appreciated, as you know. Thanks, Duncan. Appreciate that. Glad it struck a chord. I also had a really nice moment the other day when I was doing my accounts for the year, yawn, and I ended up, you know, you have to kind of tally up your different bits of income and you know in in my case these days that includes uh the book still available on the website print run two uh the merch still available on the website and uh the coffee donations which um you can also find on the website and you know what that was really lovely because in doing that i actually had cause to realize oh there's peg coming outside to see what's going on in the shed um, because I actually had cause to go back over the sheer number of people who've supported the podcast by purchasing some merch, donating or buying the book. Um, and there's bloody loads here. It was really lovely to be reminded of what a great little community I've been lucky enough to build here and all the regulars whose names I recognize. And I do see you. So thank you. Who've gone the extra mile to support the show. So thanks a lot. It really did put a spring in my step that as did the reaction to my newsletter in which I explored the 10 things I've learned from running my company, All Conditions Media, which you can find over at my Substack page, which you can locate via my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. Deep breath. Anyway, that newsletter, which to be completely honest, I put out um, because I was like, oh God, I've not got a newsletter for tomorrow. And I'd previously published that on the All Conditions Media blog. Um that ended up being the most popular newsletter I've ever sent out by quite a long distance. And I had some truly heartening feedback about that, including um, notes from some people I I admire very much, which was lovely, and some old friends who got in touch about that. So yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. Um, Newsletter, quick plug every week. Well, every fortnight, which for my American friends means two weeks, um, I send out the 10 things that I 
think are interesting that week and then every other week every other fortnight i send out um, a blog which like that one or something from one, one of my guests uh there's many many thousands of people around the world receiving that now and it seems to be um increasing in numbers every week so yeah get involved on the website um or also before i go I'm fortunate enough that a lot of people in the industry listen to this show. So if that's you and you work for a brand and you're interested in working with me on a couple of new projects I've got coming up, um, then yeah, please drop me a line. Um, I'm thinking about the episode 200 documentary or the Media Apprentice idea I've been chatting about. You can contact me at podcast.wearelookingsideways.com, matt at allconditionsmedia.com or you can DM me on Instagram at wearelooksideways. I welcome all feedback, even the hate mail. There's more of that these days, but I usually find it pretty funny, to be honest. So uh, yeah, keep them coming. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you, Danny, for being such a great sport and to you for listening. Nice one.